Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. We're really glad that you're all here to uh, worship with us uh, this morning. Like John mentioned, we're starting a new series called uh, Sundays, and we're going to be talking for the next four weeks on why do we do the things that we do on a Sunday morning, and what's the purpose of it, and what does the Bible have to say about the things that that we do as we gather uh, as the church. And so we hope that this is uh, a help to you. And also, at the same time, may give some of the, the meaning behind, if you ever wondered, like, why does the church do uh, some of the things uh, that it does? And part of what we're going to be doing is looking at things that we tend to do sometimes without even thinking. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought about the different chores and the habits that we do in life. And have you ever done things and you look back and you're not even, you don't even remember doing it? I've actually driven somewhere and I've realized as I got there, I kind of didn't remember how I got there and all the turns and you don't really want to be driving by people like that. But I, I've discovered that myself. Like sometimes I can just kind of get into this, this place in life where I'm just zoned out and I just know how to just do things without thinking that can happen in driving. That can happen in the chores of life. As we do the bills, we just can kind of go in this mode. And sometimes in life, as we do things over and over again, we're kind of like those little wind-up toys. You wind it and it just goes. And there's a picture here. You ever seen it? These will scar you if you're at a young age. It's like the snapping jaw. And you just wind it up and, just, and they move. they got little feet there, right? Well, that's kind of how life is with sometimes the habits and the chores. We just kind of feel like people that are winding up here and then we just go. And it just, when it runs out, we just wind up more and we go. And that's how life can be. It just, it's the mundane, the chores, and, and we keep going. Uh, there's other things that we do a lot, too, which we just flat out don't like, like commuting. Anyone here have a commute tomorrow that you're going to face in L.A. traffic? Okay, it looks like this. I actually have seen these on Facebook the last couple of weeks, and you see them. And it's always from L.A. people. Like, welcome to Los Angeles. Like, you, you want the Hollywood sign? No. Welcome. Glad you're here. And yes, that is smog, right? But that, that's like we face this regularly here where you just get in traffic, you sit and there's nothing usually productive and like we look forward to in, in traffic. It's just we just get through it. And each day we're calculating how long we're going to have to sit in it. Sometimes it's worse. Sometimes it's better. Uh, with the holidays come, have you ever driven to work like on a holiday that most people have off and it takes you like 20 minutes and normally it's like an hour and a half. And then for that one day a year, you're like, this is what it could be like. It's not like that the rest of the time. It's like this, just in traffic. Well, in life, again, the chores that we do, the habits that we have can just feel like this. It's just something we do and we just want to get through it. In fact, coming to church can be like that as well. Now, we're hoping when you come to church in the valley, we're not like, it's a little bit better than your commute. Just a little bit. Like That's not really a, a high goal that we want to set as a church. But every Saturday night, I'm sure you kind of in your head like, oh, it's Sunday tomorrow. And that kind of has some thoughts like I got to wake up early. Maybe I need to iron a shirt. Got to stay late after church. I got to help. I got to prepare. I got, you know, all these thoughts that we have and we can do it every week. What we want to do with the series is, is look at the things that we do every week, but actually with the aim to add the value to it. And the way you add values to things is you have to talk about the why. A lot of times we experience the what's of life, all the things that we have to do. But it's important to kind of take a step back time to time and think about why do we do the what's in our life? Why do we do the what's that we do? And so I want to talk about kind of what the Sunday is a reminder of. And in the scriptures, you see it's all pointing to a certain thing. And I want to talk about that. Sundays 
remind us that our entire life belongs to God. That's the goal. Every time you come here on a Sunday morning, the goal should be to remind you that your entire life belongs to God. When I was younger, I was a part of a huge church in uh, Lubbock, Texas, and this church was huge and they always provided donut holes for like the kids ministry. And every Sunday, my motivation was like, will there be the blueberry glazed donut holes? And all of you right now are like, dude, I want to go to a church like that. If you move to Lubbock, they might still do that. But right. It was just every Sunday I was like, what what's the donut that I'm going to get to eat? And that like for many years, that was like my motivation. And as pathetic as that sounds, that, that that's what I cared about. But it's more than that. It's got to be more than just coming to church and seeing our friends and getting somebody to talk to you and writing notes. Maybe there's got to be more to that. Well, the big picture of the scripture is Sundays is just a reminder. It's a reminder that that our entire life actually belongs to the one who made us. In Romans 12, in the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a church in the first century. He started this church and he's trying to help them define like what life is all about, like the big picture. How can we be people that live under God and his rule and still experience like the good life? Like, how does that all work together? And so uh, in Romans 12, one, we get this like summation statement. I want to read this to you because this is like the backdrop of Sunday mornings. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Anytime you read the word therefore in the scriptures, it's always talking about something that's been written before that. Some statement, some argument, some case that's been built. And in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul, who wrote this, is talking about our place with the law of God. And we are created beings. God created us and God has laws. These are like the Ten Commandments, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. And Paul talks about all these laws and the fact that we face this problem in life in that we try to be people that be okay with the law, but we can't be okay. The law keeps coming against us. And so we, we tend to approach what God says to us as like a ladder. Okay. And it's, if I do what God says, I can climb up one rung of the ladder. And if I do that consistently, maybe I get to climb up one other rung. And our goal is like, how do we get high enough on God's law ladder so we can be With him, we can be okay with him. We're accepted by him. And Paul talks about the fact that actually there's nothing that you can do to climb the law ladder that God's established because we're sinners. And so in the book of Romans, in verse in chapter 12, he's talking about this idea of you need to offer yourself based on the mercies of God. But he establishes why we need the mercies of God. And so in Romans 3.23, this is another really important statement of our human condition. It says this, for all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And so Paul again is explaining life. And he's saying we've all messed up. We all have gone against what God has told us to do. And we've sinned. That's what sin is. It's not doing what God's told us to do. In fact, it's it's rebelling against God. It's being independent of God. And so he's just like, this is where we all are. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This should reveal our need for God. We can't climb the ladder. Every time we climb it, it breaks and we fall down. Every time we climb it, it breaks and we fall down. That's what Paul's describing. Then Romans 7, 7, he says this. 
If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So part of what God's law is, what we should do, what's right from wrong, which we all have written on our hearts. We all know what right and wrong is. The reason that's written is so we know that this fact is true in Romans 3.23 that we've all messed up. So in Romans 7, he's saying the law is actually given so we can know that we need help beyond ourselves. Can okay, I explain this because this sets the context to, to Romans 12. Now, Romans 3.24, Paul goes further and he says, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm giving this really condensed version of the book of Romans, which is packed full of so much great theology, information about who God is, information about who we are. It's based on those realities. We've sinned and we've fallen short of God's standard. We know that because we know right from wrong. We know when we've messed up, right? You're experienced guilt when you've done something. That's because God's law is written on your heart. You, you know that that was wrong, even at a young age. Right. If you're a parent of like a really young kid and it goes quiet in the house, what do you usually think? Oh, wow. They're like learning. They're quiet. No, when you're you have a toddler and it's quiet, you're like they're doing something they shouldn't do. Right. A quiet house is not always a great house. Someone's getting into something. And it's true. Kids have this sense, this innate sense. It's, it's the human sinful condition. When we mess up, I'm just not going to make any noise and they won't know it. And then you see the little toddler and you see their face and they just give that look like, oh, my goodness, I've just been found out. They're guilty and they know it. And as a parent, you, you know, depending on what happened, you try your best to love them or not laugh, depending on which one. Right. And we do the same to God. Like we, we kind of want to hide from God. We know we've done things that don't please him because it's on our hearts. So Paul's just writing this. We're all on the same page. We're sinners. We try to, to climb up this ladder. But what Paul's writing in the first 11 chapters is God's law is not a ladder to climb where you can please him by earning it. There's nothing you can do that can make God look at you and say, you are the best. Wow. The way you helped that person, the way you smiled, the way your attitude was. There's nothing we can do. Because God's law is not a ladder. It's actually an x-ray. It shows us our problem. It shows us our need for him. It kind of lets us see on the inside of things, the inside of our heart. The good news is, is Romans doesn't end with that thought of we're, we're lost and we need help. Romans 12 begins to turn the corner of, so where does this leave us? So what should we do? And I want to show that again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore. So the appeal is... Because we're sinners, because we know we've messed up, because we know that the law, by doing everything God says, like we can't earn it ourselves. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, not your works, but by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Briefly, I want to explain this idea of the sacrifice, because that, too, is connected to the Old Testament version of of sacrifice and sin. When the law was broken in the Old Testament, a sacrifice had to be made. It was usually the spotless, pure animal, usually like a lamb. And this lamb was sacrificed or whatever animal it was. And this was the payment for sin, the wrongdoing. And as you gave this sacrifice in the Old Testament, this was your way of saying, God, I've messed up. Here is this pure animal that I'm going to sacrifice to pay for my sin. 
then from there, you, you confess that to God, you made the sacrifice, and then you, you went on your way trying to please God and do what he says. But when Jesus came, the sacrificial system, the need to sacrifice this pure animal was done away with because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He became the pure, spotless lamb. He became the one who would pay ultimately forever for our sin. And so Paul's saying, you no longer have to sacrifice with animals. The thing that you have to do is you have to sacrifice your life to God. Now, the good news is, is it says a living sacrifice. So this isn't the idea of we're just supposed to kind of just die to God. That, that doesn't make sense. But this idea of your living sacrifice. And the living sacrifice there is speaking to all that, that we do where we choose to follow God and do what he says despite the things that, that we want to do. And what Romans 12 is saying is, is when you sacrifice your own will and do what God wants you to do, that is worship. That is what worship is. The reason I say that is oftentimes when we think about Sundays, if you grew up in the church, you went into a worship center or a worship building. Or sometimes you may even say, I'm going to worship. And usually it's the place in which you do the Sunday or the church things. But worship in the scriptures was never the place that you went. It was actually what you did. It's a state of mind. It's your attitude. It's a choice. What Paul's saying here is worship is not where you go. But it's what you do. And true worship is living your life as a sacrifice. Choosing God's will over your own. And we can do that because of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And so I want to talk a little bit about worship. Because if, if Sundays are a reminder that our, our whole life belongs to God, well, what is this idea of, of worship? Well, in the Old English, worship means this. Worthiness or acknowledgement of worth. So when we come on a Sunday here at Church in the Valley, we take the first part of the first day of the week to gather together as a community. And we want to come together to worship. That's the biggest part of what we do on a Sunday is to worship together. And so to worship together means there's this worth that we want to give to God. We want to give the worth to God that is due him because of what he's done for us. Again, in view of his mercy. So our worship is rooted in the mercy of God. And so when we come together and when we gather on Sundays, the picture is we have been given so much through Jesus Christ. He has saved us. He's prevented us and allowed us to not walk this revolving ladder where we can never make any progress. He sent Jesus to reveal our need for him. And at the same time, he gave us the solution to our problem. We can actually have hope and be saved because of Jesus Christ. And so on Sundays, a big part of it is to get reminded of that. I don't know about you, but every week I have all sorts of things on my plate, whether it's relationships that I have, work projects that I have, problems that crop up, stress, this or that. I mean, I can just go on and on. And we all face the same thing. In the midst of that, I don't know about you, but it's hard to remember sometimes the truth of my situation. I can be overwhelmed. Um, I can be worried. I can be fearful of things. I can be frustrated. I can be aggravated. All sorts of things. And as humans, it's easy to spiral down into our circumstances. It's easy to just kind of experience what's happening in our life and just kind of hit this slippery slope. 
And so the church, when we gather together, it's this kind of process of pulling us out of the things that sometimes are just so overwhelming in our minds to remind us of what is real and what is true. And so something that we've just done before I spoke was we, we sang. Now, I don't know if you grew up in the church. If you grew up in the church, you actually probably have sang your whole life. And I, I grew up in the church to the point where, like, I could kind of predict what the, the music was going to happen and all was going to, you know, take place. And Sundays, a lot at a church I was in, feedback would happen. You know, feedback had actually happened today where it goes, ooh, we planned that. No, we didn't. That's a lot. But it happens. Sometimes it happens, you know, on Sundays, you got mics and everything. And I grew up in church so much that when feedback happened, I knew what the pastor would say. And every Sunday when feedback happened, it didn't happen every week, but he would say, that was God speaking. And everyone was, everyone knew. And so I grew up at church. I grew up singing. That was part, I mean, I went to a church that at the end of every service, we would hold hands Cross rows. Some of you are like, I am so glad we don't do that, right? Because you sit and you're like, mm, who am I holding hands with this week? Sometimes you need to be strategic in that, right? But that, that happens. Like churches all across the world, they sing. And if you grew up in church, that makes sense to you. If you didn't grow up in the church, that is actually maybe kind of weird. Because you think to yourself, where do I ever sing with a group of people I really don't know? You know, we don't really do that. So the reason I want to explain singing is connected to this idea of worship, which is connected to this idea of reminding us that everything we have belongs to God and we have life because of him. And so singing is the central element of our Sunday gatherings by design. We, we do it on purpose. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, why that is. Before I do that, I want to show a clip because I was thinking, like, where are the times that we actually sing with a group of people besides church? And if you go to a concert, some people love concerts and you pay money and you'll sing with a bunch of people if you all know the song. And it's like a great experience. But another time we always sing is like the national anthem. At a, like a sporting event. A few years ago, I went to a soccer game and in Portland, Oregon, and the team is the Portland Timbers. And I want to show this clip of them singing together because maybe you've had this experience or maybe you haven't, but we'll talk about it a little bit. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please rise, remove your hats. It's the best supporter group in Major League Soccer, the Timbers Army performs our national anthem.
was at a game once when this happened, and I can't remember if I was at the game if they had, usually at a sporting event, they have, like, somebody sing it. And I think for the Portland Timbers, they just decided, like, let's not have somebody come because every time we do it, the whole crowd just takes over. So it's not worth it. But it's interesting. Everyone in the stadium, for the most part, sang this together. And as you, you hear that, you know, some thoughts like, wow, they kind of started high. You know, you're in trouble. It's acapella. Like, what do you do when you start up here? And you're like, oh, it's going to keep going up. But other thoughts are like, wow, they're, they're into it. You know, you see some of the players like smiling, like, this is crazy. But they're, they're into it. And so I just thought like, you know, as we do a national anthem at a sporting event and everyone sings and there, there's like a certain purpose behind it. You know, as we sing the national anthem, we're kind of, Exclaiming our, our unity together for our country, our allegiance and loyalty to our, to our nation. And we, and we do that. It's, it's this anthem that, that we, we sing together. And so that's like the only common point that we have outside of the church for when that happens. But in the church, there's actually a similar reason for why we sing. But it's not allegiance to a country. And it's not unity as, as a nation. Well, that, that's important. But it's actually bigger than that. We're actually singing our worth to God. We're saying that God, God is worth it. God is good. God is, is loving. And everything that we know about who God is in our experience with him, songs are, are kind of designed and they're powerful where they describe something that just maybe saying the words can't happen. And we could all agree music is powerful. You know, you could think through like a song that you maybe danced at it, you know, back in high school and all the emotions come. And, but actually, music is more than emotion and it's, it's more than just a feeling that we should have. At church on Sundays, it actually is communicating a few things. And it's beyond the hype of even a crowd that sings. It's, it's communicating our view of ourselves based on who God is. And so I want to kind of walk through this passage in Colossians 3 where it commands us uh, to do this. And this, this passage is going to kind of be the basis for the rest of this series. And Colossians 3, 16 and 17 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him. Next week, we're going to talk about the point of the scriptures in us, our Sunday gathering. And it's based on this idea of let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When we sing our song to God, and every time we sing should actually come from the word of God that's in us. What's in us should come out. And that's actually how life works. What in it, what's in us always does come out. So as we sing to God, it's supposed to be connected to the word of God that's in us. Like we know God is who he says he is. So as Christians are commanded to sing, it's actually out of this experience where you know that God is who he says he is. You've seen God come through. You know that he is real. He is living. He is active. And that's the fuel for the song. And that's why later it says, after the teaching and admonishing happens based on the scriptures, you should sing psalms and hymns 
and spiritual psalms. Psalms, these are like the psalms found in the scriptures. Many psalms uh, written in the Bible, a lot from David, have actually ended up being worship songs. And then hymns, these are like songs that have been written throughout church history. Some in the early church, some later in history. But these are like hymns that the church has written as just direct responses to God and his faithfulness. And spiritual songs, really, in this context, are more like, what were the modern-day music and songs that, that happened? This is like musics of, of testimony, of here is how God's come through, and I'm going to make this music to express that sentiment. So this is actually a command, just like letting the Word of God dwell in you. And the dwelling of the Word of God is this, it's supposed to feel at home. So the Scriptures should feel like home to us. This is, this is real. This is how we operate our life. It's not foreign. It's not a strange place. The word of God is is home. We want to build our life on it, just like you would build your house. And then from that, the music and the songs to God come from there. So you're sitting here and you're thinking like, but really like, why, why songs? And if you like, don't like singing at all, or maybe you like singing and you just think you don't know how to sing. It's actually much more than just you singing. And the focus sometimes can be on, I'm tired, I don't want to sing, I don't want to stand. And, you know, at church we kind of have a bunch of emotions that goes on with, with singing. You may love it, you may not. But I want to talk about kind of why we do it beyond what I've, what I've said. So we sing praise every Sunday here at, at Church in the Valley for a few reasons. Uh, the first is it's supposed to remind us as, of God's truth. So we want to pick songs here at Church of the Vine. The band does a great job of, of leading us in worship. And these songs are supposed to reflect truth, not just feeling or emotion, but actually what is truth according to what God has said. We want to sing those songs. And I was thinking about why this is important. Have you, you ever had a song in your head and you really like the song and you maybe sing the song, maybe on your way to work, maybe at work, maybe at home, you're doing the dishes, you're doing chores and you sing a song. Have you ever read the lyrics of a song that you loved and then realized the song's terrible? Do you guys remember the song um, Gangnam Style? Was that, was that what it's called? Remember that? I loved that song. I mean, I loved it. It was catchy. It was fun. And so I played it for the kids and like we all loved it. And so we'd be communing. They're like, hey, can you play that song? And then I started hearing my kids sing it. And there's a part in the song, just if you've not heard it, it's, just, it's like, ooh, sexy lady. Wah, wah, you know, right? So I won't, I'll spare you the details, but I never quite heard the lyrics until one of my sons is singing sexy lady. I'm just driving and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't think I can listen to this song anymore. And so I, I, I have to have a conversation, you know what, the, this is actually not, this is not a good song. I started realizing, like, so many songs that I love, like, aren't good. It's a real bummer for the real catchy ones that you really like. And so I explained it to the kids, and then the song would come on, and then, like, it shifted gears. Like, ah, turn the song off, Dad. Turn that song off. This part of me is like, oh, please, can we? Turn the song off. And songs at church should should be the opposite. We shouldn't have to listen and be like, ah, I don't know if that's right. It should actually remind us of what is true. 
And that's what these songs are designed to do. We want songs to be full of truth because we don't have truth so much in our life. When we listen to the media, when we watch TV, it's not based on truth a lot. It's based on emotion. It's just based on maybe falsehood. We need these songs to remind us of what is true. So we need to pick songs that are true, and then we need to sing them together. Which leads us to the next point. Why why sing? Well, it expresses our praise and gratitude to God. Hebrews 13 says this, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That idea of sacrifice, you see again. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So when we sing to God, we're acknowledging, again, all that he's done for us. And this sacrifice of praise is like, God, I'm going to give my energy and my thought to you and you alone right now. And as we gather on a Sunday, I don't know about you, it's so easy to think about all that you have to do this week, right? And you're just, you're thinking like, man, tomorrow, and and it's easy to just kind of get sidetracked, get distracted. But as we sing these songs, it should be this process which kind of brings us to God's truth and then reminds us of what he's done. Remind us of our condition. Just us on the ladder aimlessly and then God scoops us up. And shows us how to walk with him. Psalm 59, 16 says this, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. This was written by David. And I, this is one of the Psalms I was talking about. It's, it's this kind of song that's written and David had faced threats at this point. And he needed God's strength. People were coming against him. He needed this reminder. And so this song was a reminder. This psalm was just a reminder of all that God has done. And he's my refuge. He's my my protector. And so when we sing these songs, if you can think about the words that you're singing and then connect it to who God is, there's actually a lot of power and hope that comes from the songs that we sing. And then the third is that when we sing songs, it actually increases our faith. When we watch that national anthem, you see this group of soccer fans come together and they they're this like powerful group. Right. You get this. This sense of, wow, this this group's serious enough to just sing at the top of their lungs together. And it's like, wow, that's kind of an interesting, neat thing. But in the church, there's this thing that God does as we sing together that should kind of show us that we are with a group of people who are also experiencing the same God we experience and trying to please the same God we're trying to please and try to live for him. And as we sing together, there's the strength of our group. We are we are this tribe of God together to, to do his purpose, to take care of the mission that he's given us. It's kind of a reminder, like you're not alone, you're not crazy. You know, I'm standing with other people and. We've experienced the same thing and we're stating the same truth. There's a quote that's kind of connected to this, which I thought was interesting. This is like an old time saying. And it was this. A successful Christian life involves attention to three books. God's book, the pocket book, and the hymn book. Okay, God's book is his word, his truth to us. The pocket book is our finances. It's the picture of how much do we trust him as we give to him. That's where it gets real. Okay, I have God's word. That's the truth. Then my pocketbook was, will he actually come through? Do I believe the truth? 
And will that be expressed in my finances and what he's given me? And then the last is, is the hymn book. It's this idea of it's the reminder of the richness of God's goodness and grace. And here at Church of I, we actually don't have hymn books. Okay. Uh, in some traditional churches, uh, you can sit in a pew. Have you ever sat in a pew before? That's like old time church, like wooden pews. But in front, there's these hymn books and there's the Bible and there's the hymn book. And when I was young, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the hymns. I'll just be honest. I was like, they're kind of old. There's like a lot of stanzas. And again, I was like hoping like, can the worship director just do verse one and four? Skip two and three. If you grew up in the church, you know what I'm talking about, right? But the older I get and I read these hymns, they're rich with like people who experienced God and were able to express truth in a way that it just resonates. And actually, hymns are having a comeback. They just, they have like updated music to them. And I've heard of people that have heard hymns and like, wow, did you write that song? It's like, actually, no, it was written in like the 1700s. But it's this picture of, of God's goodness, the reminder of our condition, our need for him and, and how he has saved us. And so I just want to kind of describe this because there's so much power as we sing, not because of the process of it, not even whether we sing good or not. But it's this idea of it's a reminder of the truth of who God is and our need for him. And so I want to encourage you as you come on a Sunday morning, there's so many things that are going through our minds. But as we sing in the beginning of the service, use that as a way to just kind of get your mind focused on him. And you may not be a Christian and you're just kind of experiencing this church thing and singing might be one of those things you're, you're trying to experience. If, if it doesn't make sense to you, you, you don't have to sing. What I encourage you to do is, is read the words of the song. Because as those words go up on the screen, the reason we have that is, so not only can you can sing with us, but you can read that and you can learn about who God is. And as you're exploring more, begin to read the scriptures because that really is the basis for all that we sing. So I, I encourage you to do that. This is a crucial part of how it reminds us to be this living sacrifice. Now, the good news is being a living sacrifice doesn't just happen on a Sunday. This is actually something that we're supposed to do every day. And singing is a little bit part of that. Anytime you do God's will above your own will, that is worshiping him. You're sacrificing your own will for God and his ways. As you learn to walk with God more, what you realize is you actually want to do more and more of what he says. And so it's still a sacrifice, but you, you want to set your life to please him. And so I want to encourage you to kind of extend this idea of the singing and the acknowledgement of God and who he is into what does that mean for your life as you leave here? And so there's a few next steps that you can take to help you think of that. So if you pull out your connection card and finish filling that out. We're going to receive our offering. And we're going to sing back to God. And you can drop that, that connection card in there. But maybe one of the things you want to do is just memorize Romans 12.1. That verse is a great reminder of the mercies of God. And the fact that he has given us the opportunity to offer our lives back to him. Not because of what we've done but because what he has done through Jesus Christ. And so if you've never memorized that verse, I encourage you to do that. Just a reminder. 
Uh, the second thing is express thanks to God in song this week. Now, if you've never like sang outside of a Sunday, you can actually sing any day you want. I encourage you to maybe sing songs that you like. But if you can find some music, some Christian music or something that expresses the truth of who God is and our need for him. I encourage you to sing what I notice about myself. is Sometimes I just have to stop, you know, listening to talk radio. I have to stop kind of thinking about all that I have to do. And I just have to take some time to to listen to music and to, to worship God. And so I encourage you to do that. And then the third is consider one way to be a living sacrifice this week. That is what worship is. And so is there something that you sense you need to do that God wants you to do that you don't want to do? And as you kind of wrestle with that, I encourage you to choose to do that this week. And you are worshiping God by making that choice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together uh, just here in Alhambra, California, and to worship in unity and to sing and to listen to your word. And I thank you for the freedom that we have to do that in the open. And there's just so many Christians throughout the world that that can't even do that without their lives being threatened. And so we do thank you for this opportunity to come together in freedom and safety to do that. And I ask God that you'll help us to be people that more than anything are experiencing you on a daily basis because that is where our worship comes from. We can express your goodness out of our experience. And then more importantly, we can know who you are based on your word and what you've told us. So help us to be people that want the word that you've given us to dwell in us richly. And as that happens, help us to be people that express the truth of your goodness to us. So we ask for your help in this, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.